passage before you, uh, the, the 1 Corinthians 12. It's well known, but um, I, I think it, it still merits a, a good look this morning. Uh, certainly, I saw things there that I hadn't seen before uh, as I studied the, the passage this week. So, uh, let's come and look at this part of God's Word that talks very much about how to live together as a community of His people. So, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that when Jesus returned uh, to this, uh, to, to your, your side in heaven, when he left this earth, he, he didn't leave us without help. He, he left us his spirit, and he left us your word. And we pray that today we would pay attention to your word and your spirit uh, as we listen again to this, this ancient text but as we hear it made absolutely contemporary for us as you speak it again to us. Lord, come and speak to us today, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you know that David hasn't been feeling all that well um, since last Sunday. The last thing he did before he, he fell in a heap was to, to teach here uh, last Sunday morning from the first part of 1 Corinthians 12. And we saw in that passage that, that Paul was challenging a notion that was going uh, through the church in Corinth, that some people are better than others because they have particular spiritual gifts. And, and it seemed that the gift of speaking in tongues was one that they were prioritizing in the Corinthian church. Paul challenged that and he said, no, that's not the case. Anyone who is in Christ, anyone who's a Christian who can say Jesus is Lord is a spiritual person because it's the Spirit of God in us that allows us uh, to make that kind of a confession. So our passage this morning begins by, by Paul reminding the Corinthians in verse 13 of another reason for their equality in Christ, and that is that they shared a common baptism. Some members in Corinth were, were saying that only some Christians have received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and maybe you've come across that teaching. But Paul says all Christians have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And again, he's repeating the point, all Christians are spiritual. They all have the presence of the Spirit of God. And throughout the remainder of the chapter, the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul uses a really well-known illustration. This is probably one of the most tangible illustrations, I think, in the whole of the New Testament. And he, he demonstrates the implications of this equality uh, of, of the, the members of the church. And he, look at verse 12. He says, The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So Paul says that in much the same way that a healthy body needs a, a load of different body parts to work together to function so a church family needs the cooperation of different people, the different people who make it up. That's pretty clear and, and obvious, and, and I wouldn't want to, to hammer that analogy too much further. But, but it's interesting to see what Paul does once he's, once he's given us that picture. He then 
deals with two issues in particular. Uh, and the way the NIV split up the text, it, th there's a paragraph for each. So there's a paragraph from verses 14 to 20 where he addresses the person who, who says, I don't have the same gifts as other people, and they feel they've nothing to contribute in church life. Paul addresses these brothers and these sisters, and he, he, he challenges them. He challenges them to rethink their position, and particularly their, hesitant, uh, their hesitancy to serve. Then in verses 21 to 26, he goes to a totally different group of people, and it's those who undervalue the contribution of others. He challenges them to honor all members of the community and not to undervalue the, the gifts of other people. So we're going to look at those couple of dynamics very quickly uh, this morning. First of all, the people who hesitate to serve. This, this passage works best if you really enter into Paul's uh, metaphor of the body. Okay, so imagine uh, a body uh, and its working parts. Um, Claire's a physio, and I, I know she would have had uh, sort of either skeletons or uh, anatomical figures uh, around her at time to time as a student. So imagine a body with, with its parts. And Paul says in verse 15, if the hand should say, because I'm not, sorry, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason cease to be part of the body. Of course not. I mean, it, it's nuts. The whole idea is nuts that one part of the body should opt out because it's not the same as another part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And, and again, same thing. It's, it's nuts for us to think this way. And yet that's exactly how it plays out in the church. It must have been happening in Corinth. That's why Paul's addressing it. And it certainly plays itself out in our churches today. And so we have a person who says, I'm not musical. I don't enjoy working with kids. I don't have this gift or that gift. So I don't belong. I'm not central to what goes on around here. We imagine that because we're not like some person or, or people in the church, because we don't demonstrate the gifts that they demonstrate, then we, we really aren't important and don't belong to the body. It's crazy, Paul says. It's as crazy as a foot saying, I'm not important because I'm not a hand. Paul's asking us to imagine, I think, by implication, a healthy body with a whole lot of limbs missing, a whole lot of parts missing, because they don't think they're important, and they choose not to play their part. Folks, church life is massively impoverished whenever we choose not to use our gifts. A lot goes missing for the whole of the community. Paul challenges the idea that we're all supposed to be the same and that only a narrow range of gifts are welcome in the church. So he asks in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If, 
if everybody acted in, in that one way, if there really was only one gift or two, so much would, would not be happening. So much of the blessing that God wants to bring to the community would go missing. And so Paul says in verse 18, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Do you know what this means for us in Kirkpatrick today? It it seems to me that this church has precisely those people and those gifts that God wants us to have. That's what we have. We're the people that God has, has chosen to gather here with whatever gifts and abilities we have. We don't need any more gifts than we have to honor God. But we do need to ensure that we're using what gifts we have. So that's the first aspect that Paul deals with, that, that person who, who's hesitant because they don't believe that they have the particular qualities or gifts In verses 21 to 26, Paul addresses the person who undervalues the contribution of others. Some people think that they have the one or one of the few important gifts. They think that they can get along without members of the other members of the community. If other members of the community have any role at all, it's only to be an audience for them using their gifts. So Paul says in verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And again, if you run with Paul's image, they're they're ridiculous images he's giving us. In verse 22, he says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And there's a, a few verses there that are a little bit more difficult to understand. I wasn't sure what he meant by this, so I was reading up in the commentaries. Gordon Fee suggests that Paul's talking at this point about internal organs. So they're fragile, but they're absolutely critical to the healthy workings of the body. So, so imagine for a moment that you compare, you're thinking of, of useful uh, body parts. Imagine that you compare a big, strong bicep with a uh, little kidney. And you look at the bicep and you think, well, that's stronger, that's more useful, that that gets things done. But then you remove the kidney because it, it appears weak. The body will soon let you know that that's not a good thing. The whole body begins to suffer. So it is with the church. There are some parts that appear to be weaker. They're not as visible. They're not maybe as, as eye-catching, but they're crucial. All parts are necessary, no matter what one might think. So what's Paul been saying to these believers in Corinth? He's been challenging them to do two things, I think. First of all, to celebrate their diversity and to guard their unity. An obedient response to 1 Corinthians 12 requires that we have a greater acceptance of more gifts in the church. Whenever you choose to elevate one gift or a small number of gifts, we destroy the diversity that God intends for us. We, we sideline people. We've got to be very careful not to be doing that. 
In Corinth, they had elevated the gift of tongues, and that had, had damaged their church life. We need to guard, too, uh, against elevating one or other gifts, be it preaching, be it leading music, or praying for people, or, or, or whatever else it is. We don't want to miss the, the richness and the fullness of what God uh, wants to bring us. An obedient response, I think, to 1 Corinthians 12 will also require us to stop thinking of other people less important than ourselves. That kind of behavior destroys the body. I think we've dealt quite quickly there with the main uh, thrust of that passage. I thought I'd spend the remainder of our time today really welcoming this thinking into our church family, really just talking about Kirkpatrick for the rest of our time uh, and our particular context. On a Sunday morning like today, you might imagine that we don't have any particular issues with, with this kind of teaching, this, this idea that, that we need many people to use their gifts for church life to flourish. Because every Sunday, uh, we see so many people willingly serving in the life of our church family. So people with gifts of hospitality stand at the door and they welcome us in. Dan's been using his gifts this morning in leading. The musicians and singers have been using theirs as they have helped us. Just now there are people in creche, in Sunday club, and in Bible class using their gifts to, to help our, our children and young people. And, and I know that that's only the small tip of the iceberg. So with many people using many different kinds of gifts in more or less visible ways, uh, Jenny told us this morning about the, the wonderful way in which in a one-off event at the big breakfast, people with different gifts uh, come together and, and God's able to do wonderful things. So, so I want to say that, but lots of people serve here in Kirkpatrick Memorial. But all of that could obscure a particular problem that we have that I want to try and draw your attention to this morning. Let me show you a graph of our church family's age profile <coughs> to help you understand our church family a little bit better. I hope you'll be able to, to see this uh, clearly from where you are. I'm going to try and explain it a little bit anyway. Along the horizontal axes there, you have the age in years of members of the church. It goes in five-year bands, and it goes from naught up to 100. On the vertical axis, you have the number of members that fall into each of these age bands. So we've plotted it up to, to show the, the age profile of the church. So, so reading across, uh, so for example, the, the first age band that we have are naught to five-year-olds. We have 47 children uh, between naught and five years. And when you read across to the right, you see that there are 35 children between 5 and 10, and 30 young people between 10 and 15 years, and so on, right until you get way over to the right-hand side with 14 people between 85 and 90. I'll maybe just name them. No, no. Uh, uh, and, and seven people between 90 and 95. So I hope you understand how that works. If you take a step back from the individual figures and look at the shape of the curve or the graph, 
then you should see a very obvious and a very stark feature. There are two huge troughs in our distribution. So we have a healthy number of members who are over 70, but with comparatively few between 50 and 70. We have a large number between 30 and 50, but with comparatively few between 18 and 30. All very interesting, Christoph, but what's your point? I want to suggest this morning that our age profile demonstrates a, a particular challenge that we have in terms of people using their gifts in Kirkpatrick <coughs> Memorial. Let me explain. Our ability to use our gifts isn't uniform throughout our lives. It, it takes most of us, even, even the, the very gifted among us, a while before we, we develop any sense of our gifts and, and discern what they are and, and how we might use them. So I remember as an older teenager beginning to realize, oh, there are things I can do to, to help uh, serve God uh, and his family, the church. So I began to teach in Sunday club and I began to mow an old lady's lawn. Those are the couple of things I remember doing, some of the first things that I was involved in. So for many people, the time from their late teens until the time when children come along, whether they're single or married, they have a great deal of freedom in many cases to choose how they use their time and the opportunity therefore to make great use of their gifts. In many cases that window of opportunity closes significantly when we take on the responsibility of parenting children and I know that, I know at the moment that I have considerably less uh, flexibility, considerably less freedom to use my gifts than I would have had 10 years ago before our children came along. And if you progress through the life cycle, you find that, that many adults begin to recover an increased capacity for serving beyond their home once their children become a little bit less dependent on them. So that opens actually a new window of opportunity. And this time the adults are able to come with uh, accumulated wisdom to add to their gifts. And it opens another great window of opportunity to serve and to use their gifts in an active way until eventually the body begins to, to, to protest and we begin to slow down and the time comes maybe to allow others to, to begin to use their gifts in a more active way. I have generalized here. I know that. But I don't think the generalization makes the, the basic observations invalid. This is how life works for most of us, most of the time. Let me show you now a second graph. This time I'm going to reflect what I've just said about the phases of life when we're most free to serve and use our gifts with our age profile. So you'll recognize there the age profile, it hasn't changed. But I've added some red lines to demark the phases of life where we're particularly well-placed to serve that I've just described to you. So on the left-hand side of the graph, we've said that people between 18 and 30 often have great opportunities for service, and those ages are approximate. I've shown that between 50 and 70, 
there, there's maybe a, another period in life when we're particularly well placed for service. And do you see now what our graph tells us about our church? It's as clear as day. We lack strength of numbers in the two key serving generations. We have comparatively few what you might call middle-aged people in the 50 to 70 bracket. And we have comparatively few 18 to, to 30s. And the graph actually tells you that the converse must be true as well. Since we don't have an awful lot of people in these two generations, then, then we're over-relying on the guys in the middle, the 30 to 50 age bracket. In Kirkpatrick these days and for the foreseeable future, this generation is doing the lion's share of the work. So, for example, our parents and toddlers in recent years has come to rely very heavily on young mums who have to lead parents and toddlers when they're bringing their own children along with them. I was very struck by this last year at our holiday club when I saw how the vast majority of our leaders were young mums who were coming with their own children in tow and were, were struggling in those circumstances to try and teach and lead others. The 30 to 50 year generation does the bulk of our pastoral work by now. Two thirds of our elders districts are now pastored by young fathers at a time when they're extremely busy at home and at work. We thought this morning about the biblical call for every member of the body of Christ to use their gifts to build up others. And I've demonstrated the particular demands placed on, on this church because of its age profile. So let me finish by suggesting three things that, that we might do in light of what we've been called to and what we've seen about our own community. First of all, recognize the pressure on our young families. God does. Isaiah 40. We read of the Lord who tends his flock like a shepherd. He carries the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. What a beautiful image of our God. A loving shepherd who won't drive the mother and her lambs as hard as the rest of the flock, but goes easy. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. So let's be like him. Let's be careful not to demand too much of our young families. A second thing we might do, I don't think we have any option. I think this is our only, only way forward. We have to train our young people. As that curve, that blue curve moves across to the right, we're gonna have a growing number of older teenagers and young adults 
And our responsibility, I think, is to, to allow them to come and to be right at the heart of, of the work of the church, to let them use their gifts for God's glory and to train them to do that. And for any of the, the teenagers who are here this morning, this is for you and for now. You're not too young to begin to, to play your part here in our church family, to join in the welcome team, to use any musical gifts that you have before too long to be teaching in Sunday club and even in Bible class. We need your help. And without it, our church life will be much, much the poorer. And a third and a final thing. Serve if you can. Don't be deceived by the large numbers of people that gather here Sunday by Sunday. As we've seen for, for a different set of reasons, there are a lot of people here who aren't in a position to, to serve in very active ways. And maybe for some of us, we need to hear this this morning as a call to commit to the church family. If you're a Christian and you've been worshiping with us for a while, you've been receiving blessing here, then maybe, maybe this is the moment, this is the time to think about, uh, about committing yourself to this community, to becoming a member, to looking for those ways in which you can uh, use your gifts and serve to bless others. As I've reflected on what I've been trying to teach here this morning, I have to say it's a quite remarkable thing. Since I'm a member of the body of Christ, that body that you're a part of too, then in a very real way, God has chosen to put your well-being in my hands. And he's chosen to put my well-being in yours. You will be blessed if I play my part faithfully and well. And you'll be impoverished if I don't. And I'm blessed when you play your part faithfully and well. And I lose out when you don't. It's no small thing we've been talking about here today. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you are a part in it. Let's pray.